0: all one word, and you'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. I want you to have the same experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. Isn't it time to tell your story? I'm Bill Mitchell, and this is When Dating Hurts, a podcast dedicated to my daughter Kristen and all women taken from us before their time. By the epidemic known as dating violence. I will speak with authorities in domestic violence, law enforcement professionals, families of victims and survivors, and survivors themselves. This begins part two, the final episode with Janae. We revisit the scene where she's trying to get her belongings and leave Tony for good.
1: I'm always packing now because <laughs> I just, oh. I just did not, because he has a gun. And so I knew, sure.
0: I knew I he mean, had a gun It wouldn't gun take much house. for him to go for that. You know, he's going to, yeah. he's going to put things, put things right according to what he thinks, what yep. Tony thinks. Yep. Wow. So,
1: so we all showed up armed and ready and he was still at the house. And so I called him, and I'm like, hey, you got to get out. I'm moving out right now. I need you to get out of the house. And I didn't think you were serious. I didn't think you actually wanted me to leave. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, just get out. So he finally did. We were in there. We were moving all the stuff, and he shows back up. And at this point, I'm like, everybody, get out. Because, again, I don't know what this dude's going to do. So we are all waiting for him. He goes inside for about five minutes. I don't know what he's doing. He walks back up the stairs. He looks at me the whole way. He walks out of the yard and he gets into his car and drives away. And I don't know what the heck he was doing. But we managed to get all my stuff. We moved it to my new apartment. And that's when really my new life started because now it was retraining my brain and getting getting a divorce and, and filing criminal charges and going through all of that. But I forgot to add in this story, and this is important. So about a year prior, he had graduated college. Oh, wow. So he got his bachelor's in biology. I threw him a graduation party, and then he went and took the MCAT because he was applying for medical school.
0: Yes, right. That's right.
1: And he... He got in the 90th percentile on the MCAT. He had a 4.0. He was a TA in all of his classes at the college. He was a TA for physics and for anatomy and physiology. Super smart, right? Well, I always had this weird feeling about his schooling. And so it was after I left him, I looked up his transcript. And the dude was never enrolled in school.
0: he faked the whole thing he
1: faked the whole thing so for five years I don't know what he did all day I have no clue his what other life he had he was never in school he never graduated so when everyone showed up to his graduation party and gave us money he was never he was never in freaking school (laughs) I don't know what he did and it just like To con somebody like that, when I'm paying for everything, I'm stressing out with my schooling, paying all the bills, supporting this loser who had some secret life that I still don't know what it is.
0: No clue. What'd you do with the money from the graduation? Um, I mean, that's what's strange to give that back.
1: I put that in my bank account, but that was, I just felt bad because like my parents had given him 500 bucks. Yes, and it's like I don't know even what to say. I don't know what to say to you guys. I was conned, just as much as. I
0: mean, his parents came to this graduation too, didn't they? Uh huh.
1: Yep. Every everyone was there.
0: So at some point, they're going to find out that uh, you know, Doctor Tony is is not. <laughs> yeah, Doctor
1: Tony is a
0: loser. Yeah, he's nothing, Tony. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, very much so. So. Uh, um, his parents actually hate me now. He has spun a good story with them, I'm sure. I sent, actually, my parents sent them a letter with his transcript showing that. So he was registered in 2016 for a semester, but he had all unofficial withdrawals and ease in all of his classes. So he never went. Uh, and my tax return actually one year went to pay off that loan which I was super confused about because you don't have to pay student loans back until six months after you graduate and he had not graduated. And so I kept calling the loan company like, Hey, he's still in school. We shouldn't be paying this back. And they're like, no, he's not in school. I'm like, he's in school. He's there right now. going to find out. Nope. He was, he was not, I don't know
0: where he went. I mean, didn't he come home from school with parentheses around it? Did he ever come home with books and things or anything? No, like that? he
1: claimed everything was on his laptop, like, which, uh, and okay. I was like, okay, yelly yeah, like eBooks. I never purchase books at this point anymore. You uh, just get everything online. Okay. And so, but like these tales he would spin because sometimes I would go over to the college and eat lunch with him. Oh no. And so I don't know if he was just driving himself back there for lunch with me to like prove he was in school or what the heck he was doing. Wow. But he wasn't, he was not there. (laughs) So dumb.
0: So how long ago were you divorced?
1: So I have been divorced for three and a half years now. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we went through, I actually finally, it was about two months ago, got a check from him. He owes me a bunch of money. I settled on $10,000. I was like, whatever, done. I'm so over you. I just want to be done. And he actually paid me 10 grand out of what oh, he owed me. Oh, how about
0: that? Wow. That's a, yeah. that, that got airlifted in there. That's good. That's something.
1: Yeah. it's And I was grateful for that. But yeah, we went through criminal case, press charges. They actually sent my case to the county for felony charges for um, attempted murder, but that was all during COVID. So I just don't think a lot of people were working at the time. So And this is another piece of advice because I never called the police during the abuse, they couldn't technically prove that all those bruises had come from him.
0: Oh, yes, that's right. Wow.
1: And so they dropped my felony charge and they charged him with misdemeanor, um, domestic violence. And so he got a year probation, he got a fine, he got um, community service and I think anger management classes. But the court system is so frustrating. And I I understand both sides. I understand you have to have evidence to prove somebody is is guilty. But at the same time, I don't really feel like they fought for me very hard. I'm the one who suffers daily now. And it has been extremely difficult retraining myself in my brain. But, yeah, at least we got some misdemeanor charges filed against him.
0: Mm, That is a lot. That is a lot to process, that whole story. Oh, my God. That is just... So much to think about.
1: Mm. Yeah, he's he's something else. I don't.
0: There's the whole domestic violence part, which is undeniable, but there's a whole incredible personality disorder with this guy. Mm-hmm. You know and, and that he just became, uh, you know, the person he wasn't, and and did it so well. And
1: yeah, what, what's interesting about that is, so I actually talked to one of the girls he cheated on me with. She was actually super nice. She had no clue about me because I had reached out to her. I, I had the phone records, right, because I, I paid for it. And I called her, and she was like, oh, my gosh, I had no clue he was married. He told me he was a pilot. He told me that he was a successful guy and that he owned his own house and all this stuff. So he, in his head, had created different realities with all these women that he was cheating on me with. And I think he actually believed them. I actually, in my heart, think he thought he was going to be a doctor magically, but he just, I mean, obviously he's too lazy and stupid to do any of that, but he did. He created a, He created alternate realities with different people to make himself seem like he was this great, successful guy. And in, in sure. reality, he had zero skills. He offers
0: zero to anybody. When you think back, and again, let's go back to the early days of red flags and things knowing what you know now because a lot of people experience red flags they don't know really much about it they just think oh he just loves me so much and well mm-hmm. he texts and calls me 60 times a day that just shows he he cares and you find out later all of us including me you know with regards to what happened with my daughter right that all those things were happening and you know, I'm sure she looked at it like he really cares, although it is kind of annoying after a while. You know, I have to keep answering this person, but mm-hmm. but somehow it kind of fits under the love heading. But can you think of other red flags that, had you known them, you might have just said, you know, I want to get married one day, but I think this guy's a load of trouble.
1: Yeah. Well, I love what you just brought up, all of the texting and calling. So my ex-husband in the beginning Same thing. He always wanted me with him to the point where he made me quit one of my jobs because he didn't want me going in that afternoon. He wanted me with him. And he wanted me there while he slept. He wanted me there while he did anything. And at the time, like what you just said, you think it's love and affection and like, oh, this person really adores me. But it's control. It's how they start controlling you right from the beginning. Yes. And that is major, major red flag. If they are not letting you be who you are and talk to your friends and be independent in a relationship with them, huge red flag. Yes. Number one. Yes. Number two, how they treat other people. My ex-husband never held doors open for people, was always rude to waiters and waitresses. I did not like how he conversed with just random people, let's say at school or at church or like in a family setting. He... Was always just like, I felt embarrassed with his communication style. So I mean, was
0: he confrontational or just overly friendly in this case?
1: No, just like a dud. Just oh. would like, one person held his hand out to shake his hand, like, hey, I'm so and so nice to meet you. And he wouldn't even shake his hand back. Wow. And it's so embarrassing. And another red flag how they communicate with other people and interact is a very good sign, I think, of like, what's really going on so in his case he was very cold and that transferred over into my relationship with him but i obviously did not make that connection in the beginning that,
0: it, that it's coming your way think, one day
1: Mm-hmm. exactly mm-hmm. and then he was kind of aggressive in things like when one day we were play fighting or like wrestling and he actually got kind of aggressive and started hitting my my butt kind of hard mm-hmm. And when I said it hurt, he just called me a baby. So it's things like that, like if they're not respecting your personal space or when you say, I don't like that, there's something wrong. So there, yeah, there's like so many red flags. I feel like I could go on for days, but yeah, that first one you mentioned is a very interesting one. I feel like most women who suffer domestic violence experience that exact thing, the love bombing in the beginning.
0: When you take a look at the way you left there, At no point did you say you maybe got in touch with a domestic violence agency. You didn't talk about that. You didn't do that, I guess, right?
1: It wasn't until I pressed criminal charges, which was about two months after I left. Then they put me in contact with the domestic violence advocate um, in my city. I thankfully, which I know a lot of women don't have this, I had a really good job. I was the breadwinner. Like I didn't have to worry about my finances. And I know when a lot of women leave, it's it's a burden. Oh, yeah. It's super hard. Yeah,
0: it's a tough thing.
1: I did, however, have to go on disability because of my mental space. After about, after probably eight months after I left him, I kind of broke mentally. And so I did have to go on disability, and an agency here in my state was awesome and actually compensated me for some of the financial burden that I had because I had left him. And so there are a lot of really good resources. And my advocate actually put me in contact with them. And they were easy to work with. I had to provide, obviously, my financial statements and stuff. But yeah, the domestic violence advocates are a great resource Mm -hmm. to helping
0: anybody in that situation. Good. I'm I'm glad you had that experience, even though it kind of came later on. But that's good. Yeah. That's very good. Yes. When you actually pulled out of there, pulled out of the house physically, I mean, you, mom and dad, or, mm-hmm. you know, you kind of made a couple runs at it yourself, got your dog at some point, but then mom and dad come and, the, and they, and a few other people, I guess, pick up trucks and vans, whatever you had, you know, you could get. Do you think that when that was done now, looking back at the actual physically getting your stuff out, do you think you handled that well, or you could have done that better or differently? Or do you think, you know, I'm happy with the way it went?
1: I wish I would have had the police escort me. I wish I would have called the cops more. Yes. I wish I would have, yeah, had police there because I mean, we're armed. Yes. But I think if there would have been a police presence, it would have been more solidifying to him like I'm not messing around anymore you're not going to hurt me anymore I'm taking my power back and I think if anything would have happened violently in that situation I would be so devastated if I especially if I didn't have because I didn't have the police there with me you're still in a weird mindset of well it's still a little bit my fault I shouldn't have done all this stuff And so I don't need the police because, and he would always tell me, because at the end I started, I actually started calling him Ted Bundy because I was like, you are very manipulative and narcissistic. And he would always tell me he would know where to hide my body when he killed me. You just don't really think it's actually going to happen. You really think you're the problem. And so I never called the police because I was the problem.
0: That really lines up. That makes perfect sense. Mm Mm-hmm. I can see that because when you were talking about that day with mom and dad and guns and all, I thought, boy, I sure wish police had been there during that.
1: Yeah. And they, they should have been.
0: Because if bullets start flying, I mean, who who knows what happened? If that guy winds up right. dead or mom or something like that, I mean, it's like, who could ever fit the story together?
1: Right. Because there was no police evidence.
0: I mean, this is not the okay corral to have that whole scene, you know. And Yeah. <laughs> but- right. Right.
1: I met my new husband, my love after, perfect man, about a month after I left my ex-husband. I so desperately wish I would have known him sooner because he was the real push for me to go, you need to press charges against this guy. You need to make this guy be locked up so he doesn't do it again. I really wish at the time I would have had someone push me a little bit more in terms of calling Mm -hmm. the police because nobody else did. Yes. And I think that's a huge thing for other survivors or people in a current situation to understand is get the police involved and get them involved now. And you press charges hard and you don't back down. You don't drop them because guess what? They're going to do this to somebody else regardless. Make sure you have your power. Make sure you have your protective order. And press charges so that they get some sort of punishment for the things that they've done to you. And so I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish I would have called the cops and I would have pressed harder in the beginning to get the charges filed.
0: That's a very good point. One woman I spoke with on this podcast, a survivor, somehow she had the presence of mind to not only journal everything that happened as it happened. Mm-hmm. But, from time to time would get together with the notary public and have things notarized oh. okay
1: that's actually impressive
0: it's kind of interesting, you know at least it it really mm-hmm. time stamped as close to she as close as she could make it. you know what's going on and I want to mention too there's an app that's out there. I know the person whose company came up with it, but it's called Victim's Voice. It's interesting, but it's an app that the developers of it set it up so that you can you actually sort of dictate into it. You know, it's kind of like voice to text, but you, well, you can punch it in or you can dictate it in. Oh. You know, you can voice text, but you do that. And then when you push the button to finally upload it, it uploads and it stays there. So it's stored.
1: That's really cool.
0: So you could say, you know, I I was sitting at home, I was watching TV, 10 minutes after nine in the evening, he came home and the next, you know, a lamp went flying across the room and he turned the TV off and he pulled me and Mm -hmm. hit me and with, you know, with his right hand across my face and I was, had a bloody nose. And as soon as that person could, you know, presumably in this case, the female is on the receiving end of this, at least, you know, most of the time when it's physical record all of that and then basically upload it and it's stamped and it holds up in a courtroom is is the key point to all of that and so what happens wow. is it's interesting that's awesome that it's actually then goes to a server that has no connection to where you are or anything and it was made by people who well for one thing the woman who came up with the idea and got a group together to do it had gone through hell with her with her father growing up and then couple guys she dated uh-huh. and then a guy she was married to. I mean, everywhere she turned, she was on the receiving end. So it's it's tough. She's a super smart person oh, and she's, um, I mean, she's lovely and, and quite frankly, she's fun to speak with. I mean, it's amazing how much she's held herself together yeah. considering every twist and turn was a trip through hell for her. But anyway, Victim's Voice is what it's called. I just hope people pay attention to it. Maybe there are other ones out there. So.
1: That's amazing. I absolutely love that she created that. You're confused. You're kind of in a very weird state of thinking. And so if you're able to just record something rather, because maybe someone's scared to call the police. So I love that she created something that you can just speak into, but document at the same time.
0: The When Dating Hurts podcast is sponsored by Nom Nom. I'm a big advocate for better food for pets. When they eat healthier, they live healthier. And Nom Nom's food for dogs is full of fresh proteins a dog loves and the vitamins and nutrients they need to thrive. Nom Nom meals are pre-portioned for your dog's exact caloric needs. So it's the easiest way to take the guesswork out of feeding your dog the best. Just tell them about your pup, age, breed, weight, allergies, and protein preferences. Get fresh, pre-packaged, totally nutritious meals delivered directly to your door for even less. Order Nom Nom today. Go to trynom.com slash when dating hurts and get 50% off your first order plus free shipping. And Nom Nom comes with a money back guarantee. That means if your dog doesn't love each meal, Nom Nom will refund your first order. Nom Nom is real good food for your dog. Head to TryNom.com slash When Dating Hurts. Now, I think I ran into something on Instagram that you had written. That, don't worry. Don't worry.
1: I know. I'm like, I'm scared. I don't know what I put.
0: <laughs> you have on here, it says, this is, this is something that you wrote. My healing journey has been a difficult one to say the least. I'm always hesitant to post some of my trauma because it makes me vulnerable, but I've learned that my story, my experiences, and things I've learned to help heal can help others. I thought that was just great. Oh, thank you. And you wrote it.
1: <laughs> I did.
0: <laughs> and then another thing that you wrote, which again is just such, just such powerful advice, if you were being abused, and then in all caps, leave now. I know how scary it is, the unknown, and like most abuse victims, you may feel an odd sense of attachment and guilt towards your abuser. But the truth is this, if someone loves you, they don't harm you. If someone truly loves you, they don't call you names, belittle you, lie to you, or make you feel like you're the stupid one.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. When you're rereading that, I'm... Yes. Yes. 100%.
0: I mean, that's just great.
1: No, that's been the amazing thing, I think, especially social media. But now that I have my own practice is I have gotten emails from people who experienced trauma 25 years ago. My patients, you would be shocked at how many of my patients have lupus, fibromyalgia, any sort of chronic illness. And I always ask every single one of them, do you have history of trauma? And all of them say, yes, I was either sexually abused as a child, I was domestic violence survivor, et cetera. I have been amazed, especially learning how your body will store trauma if you do not heal the brain. Okay. If you do not process issues that you've been through your body will store it and it will actually make you chronically sick. And so that's where I have really spent a lot of time focusing with my patients is obviously I don't do the EMDR therapies and the different therapies. I'm not a therapist, Mm -hmm. but there are different things that I am more than happy to work with them on healing their body while they heal their mind. And that was the biggest thing I have learned is how powerful the mind is in all of this, especially rewiring it and retraining it. And I don't want to say to think like a normal person because I don't think any person who's been through any sort of abuse or trauma will ever think the way, quote unquote, a normal person would. I think we're more heightened to energy, so to speak, of people. We're more heightened to people's words and comments and how they are. And I think we pick up on that a lot quicker than just your average Joe walking down the street because we've been through it. And so that's what I'm loving about my job so much is – Correlating our physical body with our spirit and our brain. It's been very
0: interesting. That's great. Yeah, I I believe everything you just said. I really do. I I believe there's a very close connection to all that. Mm -hmm. And once you've had your world rocked, it could be just one instance or it could be ongoing like yours was. I mean, yours was months leading into years. Mm -hmm. You're on a different path now. You can't get back to that path you used to be on. And you definitely have to be susceptible to. All kinds of things. Yeah. I know when this happened with my daughter, I was at that point where I'd hear conversations at a, at the next table and it just had that little twist of some kind of abuse attached mm. to it that I didn't quite think about very hard or, I don't know, I mean, maybe it just kind of went past me. You know, I just thought, oh, ah, yeah. they don't get along. But now it's almost like, hey lady, you ought to get out of here. You know, yeah. I'll hold them. I'll hold mm. them. You run.
1: It's much easier to pick up on that now, especially yes. detecting narcissistic personalities, it, it's yes. so much easier for me. Even when I'm watching TV shows with my husband, like Married at First Sight or some dumb show, I'm like, he's a narcissist. I don't like wow. anything about him. But it, you do. You pick up. You're a lot more in tune with it because yes. you've been through it. It's very interesting.
0: This is out of the blue, but. What is the difference between a sociopath and a psychopath?
1: That's a good question. I know sociopaths are really good at not feeling anything. My ex-husband used to say he can turn off any emotion. So he didn't feel guilt. He didn't feel happiness. He didn't feel sadness. And he said that's how he preferred it. So they kind of just go about life not feeling, not caring. And I think the psychopath. I think that they have a little bit stronger emotion, but they're more devious in how they go about it. So I don't know 100%, but I know sociopaths, if they go into prison, they adapt very well because they just adapt to like whatever situation. They don't really care about anything, really. They'll go to jail and they just won't give a crap.
0: So their identity can morph into something that will then help them survive in the setting they're in. Uh Uh-huh. Exactly. So, and I remember my lawyer actually told me that about
1: my ex-husband. Her husband was a psychologist at the prison and she goes, you were married to a sociopath and he will go into jail or wherever and he won't give a shit because they don't feel anything. And they've done a lot of studies on like their frontal lobe, which is where you make decisions and it's actually smaller and I don't know if people are born like that or if it's just years of, like, not processing emotion or, like, or what. I don't really know what causes that. but
0: Lack of use and atrophy or something?
1: I don't know. It's just mental disorders are so weird. They're so interesting but hard when you're on the receiving end of a type of that type of person.
0: The word narcissist, I think that was the word of the year, either in 2022 or the year before that. Did you know that? I mean, it was. Oh, a, was actually. it really? Well I, well, I think that was, I know gaslight came gaslight. to the fore. I, yes. I'm not sure really again, what year, maybe, maybe I think I, gaslight definitely came, but maybe not the other one, but your definition of um, narcissist, how would you send that up?
1: Narcissist.
0: How would you maybe spot one?
1: I would say someone who is always deflecting off of them and always the hero. So, for instance, we were just watching Married at First Sight and there was a guy on there. And he kept giving backhanded comments to his wife like, yeah, everyone on the Internet was telling me to leave her because she's so crazy. But I stuck around for it. And now look how awesome things are. So you're putting her down, making her seem like the crazy one. At the same time, you're you're glorified. You're like on this pedestal. And my ex-husband used to do that all the freaking time. And now I it drives me absolutely crazy. Like he would always say, I have helped you so much to learn and grow. And like, look at how awesome you are now because of me. Like he's some savior. It just has helped me so much. And that's what they do. They'll twist it so that they saved you. They get all the glory, and sometimes it's very subtle. My ex-husband claimed he hated attention, but then he'd always say he was the TA for this class. He was getting A-plus on this test. So again, he's on this pedestal, and then I would tell my family that so he'd get attention for that. It was all false.
0: So that's what they do. Yeah, I mean, that's even more interesting Mm -hmm. because had he been all those things and did that, that's bad enough. Right but he didn't yeah, he was alive 58 <laughs> plus <laughs> he, you know he was just masquerading as a doctor in waiting or something so yes oh my god yeah so the emdr have you done that yourself
1: yes i've been doing that for 3 years i well i actually just stopped and taking a break but if there is any okay. therapy it's actually been proven to be the most beneficial at treating war veterans with PTSD, it's it's the most effective treatment. I think anyone who's been through trauma or domestic violence needs to do EMDR. It is extremely hard, it is extremely difficult, it gets way worse before it gets better. But you not only process the memory, the hard memory, you process the emotion associated with it. So you're able to, when you go out in public and someone triggers you, you're able to go, okay, I'm feeling this emotion because of this, but he's not this person. I can separate the two and now I can say, okay, this is why I'm okay. I'm in a safe space and I can move forward. So I did EMDR twice a week and then I was like, let's do it once a week. So I actually did an EMDR therapy and I did neurofeedback therapy, wow. which is an interesting one. They actually hook you up to this helmet thing, this cap, and it's hooked up to a computer but they can monitor 800 different parts of your brain. And so they can see all your brain waves, like where's over firing and where's under firing in your brain. And then you're watching a screen, and I'd watch an airplane. And when my brain waves were in a healthy activity, the plane would fly through a hoop and it would light up and it would play music. And so it retrained my brain to know that that was a healthy brain wave activity. Wow. And let's say I got major anxiety during the treatment, the, the plane would not fly through the hoop. Right. So ah. it, and it sounds kind of weird, but it was the most exhausting 20 minutes every week. Like my oh,
0: brain, I, I would imagine it would be.
1: Yes. And all you're doing is sitting there watching a little airplane fly, but I felt so tired after I'd have to come home and sleep because it just was, it's very interesting therapy. So EMDR neurofeedback, I think are amazing, amazing
0: treatment options for people. Leading into this, I looked up EMDR Mm -hmm. and I actually watched a video where this doctor was doing this back and forth motion and this person's following it. And I thought I would be motion sick in about no time. (laughs) So then I wrote down what EMDR stands for. And I tried to say it a few times and I'm going to try to say it now, but I know I'm going to goof up the third word. Eye movement desensitization, and reprocessing. Yep. I got That's through perfect. it. I can't believe Dude, it. You did yeah. I couldn't say it <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> Was it the same thing where you have a doctor who's kind of waving his fingers back and forth, left and right, before your eyes? No.
1: So I actually, that way is not as effective. I actually, I have my therapist in the room, and then I hold these buzzers. Oh. And they're hooked up to her machine. so she holds the machine and then I'm holding the buzzers and so one will vibrate at a time, but it's kind of fast. and so whatever one is vibrating, you follow it with your eyes. So like back and forth, back and forth while the the buzzing is faster, you're in a bad memory and you're remembering the smells oh. and you're remembering how you feel and you're remembering what everything looks like and then she'll stop it for a few minutes and she'll go, okay, what are you seeing? what's happening and then you'll tell her everything and then she'll go okay let's go again and then you do that and then at the end of the session the buzzing slows down and you go into like your happy place or your grounding place so my place was the beach and then Mm -hmm. she'll go okay feel the waves smell the beach so that way you ground and come back to reality a little bit But you actually, for about three months before you even start with the mallets, you learn how to process and ground because you do go into these very traumatic memories where you can lose yourself and think that you're actually back there. So you really have to learn what's reality and what's not before you even start EMDR therapy. Extremely effective. I have to say, I don't think I would be where I'm at right now if I did not take the time to really prioritize that because I was off of work on disability for about a year. I slept for probably 16 hours a day. So I was so exhausted. And that's what I did not realize is how much trauma impacts your body. And you're freaking tired. I thankfully had the capability to do that. I didn't have to work. But now I'm able to run my business. I can. I have a successful marriage. We're building a new office. We're building a new house. It's like I have multiple things going on and I'm not overwhelmed. I 100% associate that with doing EMDR therapy. Super effective. I think everyone should do it.
0: Oh, that's fabulous. Yeah. Because mm-hmm.
1: you can process the the emotion behind it. And that's what's the hardest part is especially victims, they have these triggers. So you're out and about and you get triggered and you don't know why you're having a panic attack. But when you do an EMDR, you can go, oh, I don't like this color. Why don't I like this color? Oh, well, he was, when I was getting suffocated, I saw that on the ceiling. That's why I don't like that color. But then you're able to go, I'm not there. This is just a color. And so you're able to really differentiate reality versus the past.
0: I could see myself doing a little bit of that. Get some old witches out of my head. I think everyone should. So you should do it too. Yeah. If people understood the benefits of it, they probably would. It it looked a little scary, even the part I saw and what you're talking about sounds extra scary because it puts you right back into that moment. And that's just the place you don't want to go. I mean, that's, Mm -hmm. that's an anxiety attack for certain, right? It's hard. It's scary. I cried before every
1: session. I cried to my new husband. I was like, I can't do it. I can't do it. My nightmares got worse. I already knew it was going to be a hellish week. But I knew if I did not do it, I would be stuck in that stupid cycle of memory, nightmare, memory, nightmare. And I was just so tired of it. You just get so exhausted of the memories. And now I'm able to talk about my memories and it's not, I'm not going to go have nightmares about them anymore. And I'm I'm able to like talk about it to help other people because I know it's I know how hard it is. I can't say enough good things about EMDR. I really can't.
0: Well look, Janae, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing all of this and walking through really every facet of what you experienced and so many of these conversations I've had with people who are survivors. I've heard quite a few by this time, but I never I don't have the imagination to see where the next yeah. one's going. You know, it's just every time I think that's probably about enough for one human being to have to endure, they still hang in there. They still are trying to make it work. They're still putting up with behavior that that nobody should ever be introduced to. It just saddens me. But the part that is redeeming is that you're out, you're absolutely out. And, and the great thing about it is that for people who are experiencing this now and even people who have experienced it, they get very caught up in these survivor stories. Those who are experiencing it now need to know that it no. doesn't have to be your life. You can get out of it and and you're not alone, you know and you were very much alone. It's, it's another classic one where no one else you knew knew about it until finally you broke right. the news to Mom and dad. and you know I can understand how you were so teary and torn up uh, even today walking through that it's perfectly understandable to finally let that out a little bit you know to mom and dad and then reliving it today so but I just want to thank you so much for coming on our podcast and sharing your story and you've got such a brilliant life and you've got such a great outlook So it's just nothing but white space for you now you know you can do whatever you want to do oh yeah how nice to have a husband who actually supports and loves you and just feels so good for you Every time I speak with someone like you, I just feel so great that that you survived.
1: Thank you. you know,
0: and, and then you're helping others.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate it. I really want other people to know if you're in a domestic violence situation right now, that's as bad as it gets. Leaving is not bad. Leaving actually is a huge weight lifted off your shoulders. Leaving only gives you a new life that you can completely morph into what you want it to be. And I get how scary it is. I get how hard it is. But where you are now, if you're in an abusive marriage or relationship, that's the hellhole. That's where you're miserable. Getting out is not miserable. I try and convey that. I wish all of you could meet my new husband, how freaking amazing he is. He's so patient with me. Obviously, when you're with someone who has experienced trauma, you have to have someone patient. But there are so many people out there who are willing to just love you for who you are, and they're not going to get mad about stupid stuff, even to this day. I'm like, you're not mad how I cut your avocado? Like, is everything okay? But there are guys out there, or in women too, who will just love you. If you will just get out of the situation you are in and be vulnerable to someone else who is a good person, your life can be completely different, and there will only be good things to come. And so that's my advice, I guess, for anyone listening who's in it. Get out now because you're in the hellhole. You are in the worst part. There's only good things to come if you leave, period.
0: And you know what you're talking about. One thing I'll add to that is try to get together with a domestic violence agency and work out a safety plan, also called an escape plan. Yes. You know, it's not going to probably work if you just kind of think, okay, I'm going to go to him and I'm going to express my displeasure. I'm going to pack a few bags and then I'm going to walk out to my car and put them in there and turn the key and drive off. Right. Probably not going to happen yeah. if you were dealing with somebody who's a complete control addict. Right. Who's been showing you time and time again, that it's not your decision about really anything. Right. So you need to get together with people who have, who have seen this type of thing, who've probably in some cases experienced this type of thing, who will give you good advice it may take longer to get out of there than you want, mm-hmm. but you do want to get out and you do want to get out safely. Right. And you will not know enough. Your parents and your friends will not know enough. They will not ever know as much as people who do this for a living, who help people out right. for a living, like domestic violence people. Right. So, and you're right too, journaling about the bad stuff as it goes, putting this happened at 9, 10 PM. Mm-hmm. This is what happened. This is how I felt about it if there's any evidence or pictures you can take and time stamp them whatever you can do to collect evidence yes. and then stash that someplace yes. you know stash it where no one will find it you know you you know the hiding places i mean there are some people stash things right behind the refrigerator yeah. you know just because they figure no matter how much looking around happens no one's going to look there come up with a creative thing put them in an old paint can and sh- shove them under something in the basement but you really have to make plans and you really have to get out of there Hanging on to hope is probably not going to get you there. Yeah. It's not going to get you out. No. so rare that I've ever heard of anybody who was a, a serial kind of career abuser, whoever turned out to be Mr. or Mrs. Nice Guy at the end. Yeah. It's just, it's just, I don't count on it no. at all.
1: No, they'll never change. Abusers will never change. They hit you once, they'll hit you again. They will never, ever change. The only thing you can change is yourself and getting you out. And agreed, it has to be safe, but make sure that you have a plan in place. I've made plans with some of my patients who have told me stuff, and some of them follow through, some of them don't. But again, I know it takes a lot of courage. I know it takes, what is it, seven times on average for a person seven, to get out? Seven
0: times. Yes, it is. Yeah. That's the number. Yep.
1: So I understand it's hard.
0: Yeah. And one other thing to add is that, you know, we keep talking about the actual person who it's happening to, but if you are the parents of that person, if you're friends with that person, of course you want it to end now. You know, and yeah. when you first hear about it like when your parents heard about it they wanted to be over now yeah. if this is what's going on it's not going to be over now right you know it's not going to be over now it's very rare that it's over the minute you say okay i want to go and then it's over so you have to be patient mm-hmm. and the feelings of the person it's happening to are what is important right your feelings as a friend or parent your feelings are not important at that time. And you will have feelings. You know, I thought this was a terrific guy. I paid for this wedding. I did this, I did that. You know, you kept telling me how great it was at home and now you're telling me it's not great. You have to believe that person. You have to trust that this is really the way it is. It's not your dream situation for your child or friend, but you got to be really helpful and you have to help that person along. And that person has to, has to actually do the actual work of getting out of there. It's too. True. You can't do it for them. So right. it's a whole lot to think about and nobody wants to have to walk down that road. But when you're, when you're stuck on it, you know, this the way it works. Yeah. It just is. Janae, thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much.
0: I hope to stay in touch with you a whole lot.
1: Thank you. No, I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Bill. Take good care. Okay. You as well.
0: Thanks. This ends part two, the final episode with Janae another victim of domestic violence who was determined and succeeded in breaking free. Thank you for listening. Thanks to my guests for offering their stories on the When Dating Hurts podcast. This is your platform where victims, survivors, and others who have experience with domestic violence can freely add what they have witnessed through these stories, although challenging to listen to, we underscore the prevalence and horrific behavior of abusers over their targets and victims. With knowledge comes enlightenment and empowerment. If you feel your story should be included on this podcast, please email me at Mitchell at That's Mitchell at Thank you.